Hey everybody, welcome to episode three of How's That Day, a culture rundown with Tom and Phil. I'm Phil Wiedenheft and I'm here with Tom Bond and I'm going to start with the same question I ask every week and that is, Tom, how's that day? Phil, the day is good. The week was not. Um, it's Saturday. I think this is our first time of the three recording on the weekend, which is nice actually. But um, yeah, tough week for me, man. I'm not going to lie. I, Tough because you were busy? Busy and I had some cat drama. I don't even know if I've talked too much about it. I, I know that you've been in and out of the vet. I don't know why. I don't know the details. Yeah, so it, this week was a very busy week at uh, work. A lot of long hours, which is fine. Um, but my cat weirdo, my OG cat, my baby, stopped being able to go to the bathroom. In the, like I think it was Monday night. He vomited, which sucks, but cats do that every now and then so i didn't think too much of it but then i noticed that he was walking kind of funny and uh my other male cat serling named after ron serling of the twilight zone uh likes to he's like super affectionate and weirdo would hiss at him and i was like man what's going on that's so unlike him and then um i made sure he got some water and he was kind of chill later in the night so i went to bed and the cats don't sleep in my room. I, you know, keep them out in the living room at night. So I woke up the next morning to get ready for work. And for some reason, I just, oh, no, I had to get in early. So I woke up at like five or something like that and went out. And before I did, I do my whole, like, I have a bathroom that connects directly to my bedroom before I have to go outside, you know. And so I'm like brushing my teeth, taking a shower, all that stuff. And a lot of times they're just waiting by the door for me to open it up to feed them. And then they just like to bolt in and then follow me around. And I heard like a lot of hissing and this weird, like really weird groaning. So I stopped what I'm doing and I open up and there's three piles of vomit all over the carpet. Weirdo is just going nuts, like hissing, moaning, and he keeps squatting to pee, but nothing's coming out. Um, even on, they have this little like tunnel, this like green tunnel thing that they like to run through and just chill in. He tried to pee on that, which is his favorite place in the world. So I'm like, all right, shit, something's really wrong. So I rushed him to the emergency vet. It's like five in the morning and he has a urinary blockage, which I didn't know until this week is kind of common in cats, I guess, cause their, uh, urethra opening is so tiny and I'm waiting on the urinalysis, but apparently male cats can get this like crystal buildup, which completely blocks their passage and can be life threatening. Like it can lead to kidney failure and obviously incredibly painful. So they had to put a catheter in the poor guy. And yeah, spent two days in the hospital, in the vet hospital. And I kept having to switch them from like the morning vet to the day vet. And then we were working until 11 o'clock at night. And then I would come home when he finally was released and I'd have to pick him up and bring him back to the vet in the middle of the night to get a checkup on his bladder. After two days, he was in the vet and he ripped the catheter out of himself. I guess he was just like, I'm done. Um, so, yeah, he's home now doing a lot better. But stressful, man. It was, it, was, uh, it was very sad. I felt bad for the poor guy. I worry because I have a dog. I'm not, I'm not really a cat person. I'm a dog guy. And... I hear all these stories about people going to the vet and I took my dog to the vet like early on a lot, you know, like getting the initial shots, getting neutered, all that stuff. But otherwise, like he's fine. And I don't really like think to take him to the vet ever. I mean, I don't maybe I've just been lucky, but I like 
I can't imagine spending a lot of money on an animal. That maybe that seems like crazy to people, but like I've had friends who've like spent thousands of dollars because their their cat started coughing, and I'm just like, I don't know. I love I love my animals, but I'm not. I don't know. I'm not crazy about rushing them to the the vet at 5 a.m. So I commend you on that kind of commitment. It's one of those things where I I will pay the money to keep him alive. You know, I mean, like if your dog was clearly in a life or death situation and they said we have to do this and it's going to cost this or else he may not make it you would do it right yeah of course of course it's just you know yeah it's just like i'm 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 crossing my fingers and hoping nothing like that comes up i guess is all i'm saying yeah for sure i don't want i don't i don't want to have to spend thousands of dollars on my animal no no but you will if you have to because animals deserve everything they're the best they're better than us yeah you know i love my dog i I love my dog he's on a walk right now actually i love your dog too even though he was mad at me the first time i met him well you know he could smell your fear (laughs) maybe he was just growling at it but we were best friends by the end of the day all right um, well how's your hold on phil how's your day i kind of well my day my day has been good uh in terms of you know it's a saturday uh i've been able to relax a little bit but i've gotten some work done we've got a couple errands done but not like been in a rush to do anything so it's been nice Uh, you know i got some reading done uh the worst thing that's kind of happened this week has been that i dropped my phone and i think i I, at first i thought i cracked the screen there's definitely a crack but i I was worried about it for the entire week and then but other people are starting to tell me that they think i've cracked the glass cover not the actual screen itself because i do have like a protective like shield over the you know casing so i hope that it's just that so i'm I'm, but i'm scared to like peel it off for fear that i'm gonna like rip off the screen or something can't you kind of pull at the edge and see if it's moving at all i suppose i just you know haven't built up the courage yet tuesday march 27th i thought you were dead why does everybody else think i'm dead the family that looks like us. What are you doing with my pictures? I'm getting rid of the ones where you guys were fat. Those are the only ones where we look happy. Lives like us. Can I have some money? I don't know. Mom, can I have some money? I don't know. Can I have some money? And laughs. <laughs> like no one else. And go! Moving on from our uh, the day-to-day problems of our lives... Let's talk about the day-to-day problems of Roseanne's family, because we've spent the first two episodes of this show talking movies, so I want to talk about something else, and the thing blowing up currently in the at the water coolers, if you will, of workstations around the world is uh, that Roseanne is back. So uh, I guess we should start with, I guess I'll ask you, what is your relationship to Roseanne? Uh, did, were you a fan of it as a kid? Was it something that you were excited to come back? Like, where did, where did you stand on this just hearing the news that Roseanne was coming back? So, I have a pretty awful memory. Um, I don't remember a lot from my childhood. I don't know if something traumatic happened that I'm not aware of. As far as I know, I didn't. But for some reason, my memory just sucks. Um, but I do remember being a big fan of Roseanne. I couldn't tell you which seasons I watched as it aired. I, it's... I'm looking it up right now. It premiered in 1988, the fall of 88. So I would have been three then. So definitely not the beginning of the show. But I have a memory of the first house we lived in. We moved once when I was 12. But that first house, I vividly remember watching Roseanne in the living room and enjoying it very, very much. It was that 
The Simpsons, Married with Children were kind of the more... Home Improvement? Home Improvement was a big one. That was a little later, though, I feel. Um, but uh, Roseanne and Married with Children in particular were more of the, uh, I guess, adult-themed shows that I watched as a little kid. You know, obviously I had my cartoons like Ren and Stimpy and Doug and all that stuff. But um, Roseanne and Married with Children in particular were two sitcoms that I really enjoyed as a pretty young kid, probably like in the 6, 7 range. So probably around like season 4 or 5, something like that. I remember watching it um, pretty consistently. I mean, I don't know if I tracked when a new episode was on and we watched it or if it was just something that my whole family liked. So, you know, my parents would put it on. But yeah, definitely enjoyed it a lot. I know all the characters. I remember them fondly. I remember bits. So when they announced this comeback, I was very, very excited. Probably the most excited I've been besides Twin Peaks for a revival of an older show. Well, I imagine you probably watched it the same way I watched it, which was kind of, you know, back then there obviously wasn't Netflix or anything like that. So the way you often watch TV was whatever was on. Uh, if you wanted to watch a show that was going to be on 30 minutes later, you often just kind of had to watch whatever was sandwiched in there, which meant even shows that you weren't the biggest fan of, you ended up watching. Uh, you know, I think Roseanne, I don't know if it fell into that category, but at some point I did realize, like, oh, I really like Roseanne. And you didn't watch the show, like you said, week by week consecutive, like, oh, I'm on season four, episode 12 right now, like in this thorough thoroughly plotted out storyline that's just not how the show ran you just kind of caught episodes here and there and the show ran from 88 to 97 so i imagine we caught some of them on the first airing and then it was sold into syndication pretty soon thereafter and the way i remember watching a lot of it was on like 11:30 at night or whatever before the late night news came on you'd catch an episode every night of the week and, you know, they'd be recurring things in syndication and you just catch it in marathons or something if that was the only thing on that day. So yeah. I, like you, was also excited about it coming back because I had these warm memories of just kind of it being on and the family being married with children's a good comparison point. But being one of those lower class, lower income, a little bit more vulgar, a little bit grimier looks at, you know, the American family. Yeah. And I also did like even at the time and especially so I think it, it dropped on Netflix. I don't know if it's still there, but a few years ago, right? I think they got the rights to the show. I th believe now it's on Amazon Prime. I'm not sure if it's still on Netflix. But I remember when it first became available for streaming, I watched a good chunk of that and Cheers and um, all these older shows. And Roseanne in particular was one that I thought really held up. It is still very funny. One thing I, I always loved about the show was it was kind of meta in a way that didn't really it didn't break the fourth wall structurally and or in terms of its writing or storytelling but just in the way Roseanne in particular laughed a lot um it seemed like she was laughing you, you know in sitcoms there are all these especially when they record in front of a live audience there are all these laugh beats like on friends when they have to pause because something caused the crowd to howl with laughter or whatever but the, yeah, the but cast, none of them are yes, laughing. The cast doesn't. It's not funny to them. Um, Roseanne wasn't like that. Like they would do funny shit, and she would laugh along with the crowd, which I always found very endearing. And it felt somehow more honest or open about what it was. And there's also yeah, same thing with Married with Children. This self-deprecating, lower middle class family humor, um, where they're just they're trying to figure stuff out 
as they go. You know, they don't pretend to be smarter than they are. Um, there's still some of that in the new season, which we'll talk about. But yeah, I really, um, I th- I think the old show is great. Well, I think one of the appeals of the show to both me as a child, I grew up in Ohio, you know, lower, uh, lower Southern Ohio. Uh, the Roseanne is in Illinois somewhere, some kind of suburb, suburb of Illinois, I believe. And so basically, you know, right next door to each other. And so I feel like I grew up identifying a great deal with that type of environment. You know, my mom's nothing like Roseanne or anything, but in terms of the economic status, the uh, the the level of the humor and the kind of plot points I I very much recognized as a kid, even if I wasn't as conscious of it back then. But as I look at old episodes now, I can definitely see that. And kind of like you said about how Roseanne herself stands out, when I look at the show, it's really like the warmth of not just her, but you can see that John Goodman and Laurie Metcalf and all the kids, you can see that they like really enjoy each other. And they... Like I think that goes hand in hand with what you said about them laughing at the jokes, and they enjoy kind of picking on each other or getting the better of one of one another. And I think that was always one of the appeals of the show and why it's received so warmly is that, you know, when you see Roseanne and John Goodman together, they seem like they genuinely are, you know, enjoying each other and love cracking jokes at one another. And that that I will say on the return is certainly still very apparent. And I and I did enjoy that. Yeah. It's got this great mix of that warmth with not, I don't want to say mean-spirited humor, but confrontational humor between the characters. You know, like Roseanne kind of prides herself in being tough and scary and someone that you should kind of fear, you know? Yeah. All right. So that's one thing that brings up something I wanted to ask you about, because I was watching these new episodes and I'm older now than, you know, than when we used to watch the show as kids. Really? So I want to ask... yeah, so oh, interesting. I'm the same age. Yeah, I, I don't age. I'm a vampire. Yeah, I, I'm like Benjamin Button, so I'm actually younger than I was than when we watched the show. I'm like that kid but, from Near Dark who's been 12 forever. Yeah, ew. And <laughs> I, I, that's not the age I want to be forever. No, thank you. The show's coming back, and so let's kind of talk about what you know the big controversy surrounding the show, and basically kind of the return itself. So. For those who haven't seen it uh, or who haven't been following the news, uh, Roseanne is coming back, and it was announced pretty early on that uh, her Roseanne Barr slash the character of Roseanne uh, Connor was going to be coming back as a vocal Trump supporter. And so we kind of knew going in that that was going to be some element of the new show. So there was some controversy wrapped around that. There, That was a, a big talking point that we knew was going to be covered in some way. And that really is the center point of the first episode when we come back. It is Roseanne. We find out she cracks a few jokes, and we find out that she's estranged from her sister, uh, who is played by Lori Metcalf, of course, who's playing Aunt Jackie. And Aunt Jackie was a, a vocal Hillary Clinton supporter, and that their family has been torn apart by this. So that is the plot of the first episode. So the first episode back really very openly deals with a political... Uh, argument between the both sides of the political spectrum and this has been kind of complicated for people because they're looking at Roseanne Barr and some of the recent public comments that she's made and they're kind of wondering you know can you separate what she's saying from the character and how are we supposed to view the the show Roseanne through you know what prism are we supposed to be watching it so I'm wondering what experience you had with it in that regard 
Roseanne in real life, Roseanne Barr and Roseanne Connors, yeah, they're both Trump supporters, but in very different ways. I think the way they portray the character Roseanne is, I don't want to say an idealized version of a Trump supporter, but one that they do, I think, in my opinion, a pretty good job of making you relate to her. I mean, Phil and I are both not Trump fans, quite the opposite. But Roseanne in the show comes off as someone who really was focused on the economy and wanting to make sure that she can provide for her family. And that is why she bought into Trump's campaign and voted for Trump. Roseanne Barr, the person, is way more problematic. She has said some crazy conspiracy theory shit involving Trump, uh, especially after the show premiered to huge rate. I mean, ratings we haven't seen since like the days of Seinfeld and cheers and friends it, I think 28 million viewers for its premiere, something like that. Something like that. And to give a uh, perspective, I, I was looking this up. The will and grace return had a 10 million person premiere. Yeah. So if that gives you any kind of perspective and that was huge, but Roseanne Barr, she says some, some crazy shit about Trump. She had a recent tweet after the premiere talking about how Trump has saved all these women and children from sex trafficking organizations, from pimps all around the world, which, I mean, for one thing, it's just not something a president does. That's not their purview. That's the FBI handles that with organizations around the world internationally. That's, that's not something like any president is really directly involved in. And there was also no evidence at the time that he was really even doing that. Yeah, and, you know, I've watched the first... At this point, I believe the fourth episode just aired this week, but I've only seen the first three that have aired. And the second one aired immediately after that one. And while that one had a kind of underlining political subtext, it wasn't nearly as uh, political or outspoken as the first episode was. And then I, I just watched the third episode, and the third episode was also, I would say, very subtly underneath the surface there was a kind of Let's talk about PC culture and how we raise kids subplot, but it wasn't it had nothing to do with Donald Trump or anything like that. So the show is certainly still dealing with kind of hot button issues or uh, issues of the day, but it's also I, not every episode, at least so far, has been about Donald Trump, and I'm I'm certainly glad for that. I think that would be a distracting element of the show if it was going to be exclusively about that. Um, I don't know how long. I could continue watching it if it was that going to be on the nose about every political argument that was going to be had. Yeah, the first episode, I liked the second episode a lot more than the first. I'll just say that now. Yeah, I, of the, of the, and I like the third episode the most. So, you know, I've, I have liked them progressively more. The first episode was definitely the weakest of the return so far. Who are these people? You wouldn't know them. I barely know them. <laughs> Why are you hanging out with people you don't know? Because I've only been here a month and I didn't inherit your charming personality. A little trust here, Darlene. Did she just call you Darlene? <laughs> yeah, I have no problem with it. It's very modern. <laughs> it allows the parent and the child to address each other as equals. <laughs> Thanks, Jackie. Please call me Aunt Jackie. It's the only title that I have. <laughs> Episode one is very problematic. It's it's funny in the way Roseanne was funny. It's it wouldn't I wouldn't consider it, you know one of the funniest episodes I've seen, and it definitely feels a little dated in today's TV landscape. 
uh, with the live audience and the way it's kind of written and staged with the three camera setup and everything. But a lot of the Trump stuff comes off as not only clunky, but Aunt Jackie, Laurie Metcalf's character, comes in halfway through the episode and she's wearing, it was it an I'm with her shirt? Yeah, and a pink uh, pussy it's hat. A, na- a nasty woman na- a nasty, shirt, a I believe. Pink nasty woman shirt that she wears for the entire episode. She has a pink pussy hat from the Women's March. And they really turn a great, funny character into a shrill caricature. And that was probably my biggest problem with the episode, like the political leanings of that episode, because... With Roseanne's um, open Trump support in the show, I thought they actually did a pretty good job of making it seem genuine. Um, A, because Roseanne is a genuine Trump supporter, but she also says some stuff that underlines that she's not she's not pretending to be some woke political junkie. You know, she's like she's not some expert about what's going on in the world. What she's concerned about is her and her family, and there's a lot that she's just still kind of ignorant to, and they lean into that. Well, and I think, well, here's what I found interesting. I absolutely agree that they made Aunt Jackie a kind of character of liberal-leaning, whatever, the extremes of the left or the the self-righteous, politically active, you know, whatever, woke woman that they're kind of portraying Aunt Jackie to be. But I would also say that Roseanne is kind of being a character of the right, and it is kind of interesting, I guess, to see a very... Uh, shallow if not as this is not a deep deeply written political text you know but it's kind of like let's have this extreme version of the left and this very kind of you know overweight dorito chomping uh old woman who old white woman you know this kind of cliche of a trump supporter and they're kind of gonna duke it out with each other and make jokes and undermine each other and so one thing that i did think that was interesting about the episode was that even though Roseanne herself is a big Trump supporter, this episode still allowed room for Jackie to get a few of her jokes in there too. And it wasn't just like they made everyone in the family a Trump supporter and everyone hates, uh, you know, the left and that they're just kind of ridiculing everyone on the left. And it's just an exclusively right wing show. I, I I'm glad that that's not at all what it was. It was at least a debate. And, and I actually think, that that debate is probably something that's actually happening in some form there or and certainly was during the election across the entire country and certainly in middle America. I think that debate was happening where you have, uh, you know, family members who are expressing their views and they like a very simple version or they like what Trump is saying. And then you have other people who are kind of like moralizing and saying like, no, you make you offend me as a person by supporting that man. And, you know, so I thought that was an honest an honest story point to go off of and a, a cool way to introduce characters back in. But I didn't think the episode itself really worked all that well, especially the kind of conclusion of it with Roseanne not really being able to say she's sorry, but Jackie's okay with that for whatever reason. But, you know, I, I, I we can talk about episode two, but, the, yeah, the politics of episode one I do think were very clunky. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying about Roseanne coming off as a caricature i don't know because all that stuff seems kind of consistent with her character from the original show you know she's very unapologetic that she's you know an overweight dorito chopping 
lower white class lady, you know, although she's actually thinner now than she was in the show originally. Yeah. And, and I will say, by the way, that she seems like someone who that the, the Trump's kind of bullying, you know, tough guy stance seems like that's something that would appeal to her because that's kind of her personality as well. That kind of big boulder coming through a room, uh, pushing everyone around, you know, undermining them with jokes kind of thing. That's kind of that's kind of her M.O. too as a character. So it seems like that his way of dealing with situations would appeal to her. Yeah, and I think there are, you know, people who are so anti-Trump and horrified that he became so popular and then that he won, you know, for very valid reasons, I think, are, you know, horrified when they talk to some people that they respect and love and find out they voted for Trump and they think, how can you do it? How can you do that when he's done and said all these awful things? But then you have a character like Roseanne who makes a joke about not even knowing who Jill Stein is. And even recently we've been reading reports and hearing stories about there are some Trump voters who didn't know about the grab him by the pussy tape until a year after he won the election. So I think there's a lot of, not intentional even, but maybe just ignorance or lack of caring about some of the more dramatic moments of Trump's campaign, you know, like, yeah, his personality would totally vibe with a person like Roseanne. The things he said about the economy and getting jobs back would totally relate to Roseanne. They, there's a little conversation in the first episode about health insurance where uh, Dan and Roseanne are splitting pills because they can't afford their full prescriptions so all that stuff makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was pretty smart. And her daughter has moved back in because of economic problems. Yeah, all that stuff makes sense. And it helps you understand why a person you would love and care about would support that man. Well, the second episode of Roseanne is also political, but it's kind of dealing. And I think this is what's going to continue maybe to be interesting about the show if it can kind of stay this nuanced is the second episode has they have their grandson who has moved into uh to the house with them and he his name is Mark and he is i guess you would say gender neutral or you know he identifies as a male he doesn't know what being gay is quite yet he's pretty young but he wants to wear dresses to school and the episode kind of deals with them trying to talk to uh their mother about how to raise him and protect him from being bullied at school um, but also kind of learning to accept Mark for who he is. So uh, for me, what was interesting uh, was I was watching the show and there were in- there were moments where I would cringe because there was all this kind of macho stuff coming from the John Goodman character where it seemed like he was embarrassed by it or ashamed. And I kind of thought like, oh, well, you know, that is probably in character for someone of this age group and this, you know, live or, you know, where he's coming from. But damn, I, I really want to like Dan. And, you know, eventually by the end of the episode, he seems to come around. But there is still this kind of being like, oh, well, you know, like they're going to pick on him, you know, for being such a weirdo and all that. And I was kind of just like, man, I don't. Is that true anymore? Like in grade schools? You know, I don't know. No, that's definitely true, man. You hear you hear stories of 12 year olds killing themselves because of bullying. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. I guess there's that part of me that wants to believe like. At a certain age now, like as maybe it's more high school that it's becoming a little bit easier. But uh, you know, I like to believe that it's getting easier to be gay, and uh, it's definitely a little it's bit for sure getting easier. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. But yeah, you know, know. Sounds, you're right. You're right. It is, but I mean, there's still, especially when people are young. I mean, I remember when I was young, 
you know, when I was 11 or 12 years old, we would all use gay as a slur, which had nothing to do with sexuality even. It was just kind of ingrained that there was something inherently negative about that term, you know? Um, and I, yeah. I wish looking back on it that we didn't say those things, but we did. And yeah, that's never going to go away because kids are bastards who don't really know yet what's right or wrong. And, you know, they really have no filter. So I think that part is honest. And what I really liked about episode two, so they introduce, it's Mark, right? The the grandson? Yeah, yeah. They introduce him in the first episode a little bit. There are a couple moments of him and you see him with uh, black nail polish on and John Goodman's character Dan is making some jokes about it which are really they were kind of unfortunate like I feel like it was very dismissive of what the kid was going through and that was um, one of my least favorite parts of the first episode but then they really go all in in the second episode in what I thought was a really honest way so I have a lot of uh, thoughts about the second episode I'm of two minds first to begin with in terms of the uh, the impact of a show in an episode like this. Like we saw the the huge ratings for Roseanne, which I think, once again, if Democrats didn't learn their lesson in 2016, is another reminder that while Trump is mostly unpopular around the country and maybe he's lost more than he's gained since his campaign two years ago, there is still a giant contingent of Trump supporters who will turn out when they need to. Um, and that is, uh, that's just something to be aware of, I think. But I also think if the show is going to tackle issues the way they tackled them in this episode, I think it could have a positive impact on society as a whole. I mean, it's just a television show, but I think there's, there's a lot about this episode that I think a lot of the more, um, extreme right viewers could, learn from i guess you know and i like that dan just didn't totally have an about face by the end of the episode and wasn't like cured of his fears or assumptions you know like they're still there and i think they're there for good reason and the reason it's there for him is purely out of concern and love for his kid you know but uh, do you think the show is being honest though by positioning roseanne and i don't know about dan but positioning them as this kind of conservative middle American Trump voting people, but who also position them as, you know, they love their, their gender neutral grandson and, you know, don't care that he's gay and that doesn't really bother them at all. And, you know, it, you know, cause there is that kind of dichotomy of, you know, Trump is pulling away LGBT rights, you know, but they still are very vocal defenders of him. So there is that kind of split, that you know, I don't think the show really deals with. So I don't know how much of that is the other writers on the show because you know she is running the show with Matt Williams, who she co-created the show with originally, and who kind of helped co-create Home Improvement. So I wonder how much of that's him kind of pulling at her and being like, "Hey, we can't. We got to have both sides here. We got to soften this up." And I, I you know, I, I wonder if that's honest because it's true that these people who do vote conservative, if they did have a gay son or nephew they probably would love him uh and they would view them as being an exemption from whatever their recent biases were um or it's the show trying to have its cake and eat it too i'm not sure i'm decided on which. well that's interesting i don't know 
exactly what you mean about if the show's being honest. I mean, I mean, I, you explained it a little bit, but I guess there are definitely people like that. There are definitely people who I know people who voted for Trump who are pro LGBTQ rights, who are pro choice, who have a lot of socially liberal views. I think in the original show, Dan, for all of his machismo, was a teddy bear at heart. He was such a loving family man. And that's a big reason why the show is so likable. I mean, John Goodman is, first off, it just on its own, John Goodman is a fucking legend. He's the man. But yeah, he's, he's like so the great. most likable human being yeah. ever. Um, even even when he's playing bad guys, you just love yeah, him. Yeah, he's, he's the best. And I don't know. I hmm. It's such a weird show to watch right now. And I, I also think if you think, you know, maybe it's a little disingenuous because are there really a lot of Trump voters from poor areas in the middle of the country who would share these views? I don't know, but I also wouldn't want the show to revolve around Roseanne's Trumpism every episode, you know? Exactly. Yeah, I don't want that either. So, so uh, yeah, go on. Oh, I was going to say, so we talked about, you know, Roseanne's return and... Uh, you know, we can debate how much the return, I'm sure it's a mixture of things. It's probably nostalgia mixed with the right time, the right promotion. Uh, also that political, political element, I'm sure played some role in elevating its status, but you know, it was a huge return and you know, the way it deals with politics is a huge part of what seems to be the show going forward. So we wanted to kind of expand the discussion beyond Roseanne. And you want, I know you wanted to start talking about this episode of Blackish. So I wanted to hear about the way that episode deals with Donald Trump. And then we can kind of expand from there to talk about the way Trump or politics generally has been used in pop culture and the way it's presented and, you know, how Roseanne compares with all that. So, you know, tell me about Blackish. Obama ran on hope. Remember when he got elected and, and, and we felt like maybe, just maybe, we got out of that bad place and made it to a good place. That, that the whole country was really ready to turn the corner. You remember that amazing feeling we had during the inauguration? I was sitting right next to you. And we were so proud. And we saw him get out of that limo and walk alongside of it and wave to that crowd. Tell me you weren't terrified when you saw that. Tell me you weren't worried that someone was going to snatch that hope away from us like they always do. So I had never seen Blackish before. Um, I've heard good things. You know, I know it's a it's a very popular show. And I know they've had episodes that deviate from their kind of family sitcom formula to tackle serious issues. I know they had an episode about police brutality and Black Lives Matter, and I ended up watching this episode from season three. It's called Lemons. It's episode 12 of season three. It came out in January 2017, and the whole thing revolves around two months after Trump's win and how the family, the uh, the family in Blackish, which is the Johnson family, how they're all dealing with it in their own ways. And I'll just say it is... I thought a great episode of television for so many reasons. It's heavy handed in a lot of places. And the beginning of the episode, I actually had to just look up the beginning of a random episode of blackish to see if this was a unique thing because it starts with like a, how every episode you're like, is every episode like, well, this? 
especially the beginning because it starts with a montage of basically black history in America over a voiceover. And then it cuts to November 8th, 2016 and the, the Johnson family are watching the, the results roll in and then it cuts to two months later and you're seeing how they're all dealing with it. So this is definitely, as far as I could tell, a very different type of episode for the show. But basically what happens is you have Anthony Anderson and Tracy Ellis Ross are the parents of the main family in Blackish. Tracy Ellis Ross's character is not dealing with it well. She, like, they make a joke that she is just wearing, her entire wardrobe is stuff she got from NPR. Like, she has a Black Lives Matter button. She has, uh, I think, in All Things Considered, sweatpants and stuff like that. She's just going all in. And she's spending the entire episode trying to get her kids more involved and reading into things that aren't there. There's a, a B story where the oldest daughter is making lemonade for this school event and Tracy Ellis Ross is trying to read into it like oh how when life gives you lemons like Trump you make lemonade or how Beyonce used the term lemonade as a female empowerment thing and the daughter's like no I'm just making lemonade and there's all this stuff and then Anthony Anderson goes to his job which you know and I wish I had known a little more about the show to understand exactly what they were doing I got a sense but it's this running thing where this uh, this deadline has snuck up on them because they got the job the day of the election and they keep putting it off because every time they have a boardroom meeting, it kind of devolves into this argument back and forth with the six main characters in the in the office, in the workplace, dealing with Trump. So you have the main boss who is a Republican but hates Trump, you know, this like really rich guy who seems a little backwards thinking, but he also hates Trump. You have Wanda Sykes who hated Trump. You have a, a white lady who is liberal, but you find out in the episode she voted for Trump because she didn't like Hillary. Uh, and then you have Anthony Anderson, who's kind of just sitting back and trying to get them to work until he eventually blows up on everybody towards the end of the episode in a montage that if we can, Phil, we got to put in here. I love this country, even though at times it doesn't love me back. For my whole life, my parents, my grandparents, me, for most black people, this system has never worked for us. Seven feet. But we still play ball. Tried to do our best to live by the rules, even though we knew they would never work out in our favor. Strange fruits. Had to live in neighborhoods that you wouldn't drive through. Send our kids to schools with books so beat up you couldn't read them. Work jobs that you wouldn't even consider in your nightmares. And blood at the roots. Black people wake up every day believing that our lives are going to change, even though everything around us says it's not. Truth be told, you ask most black people, and they tell you that no matter who won this election, they didn't expect the hood to get better. Strange fruit. But they still voted, because that's what you're supposed to do. You think I'm not sad that Hillary didn't win? That I'm not terrified about what Trump's about to do? I'm used to things not going my way. I'm sorry that you're not, and it's blowing your mind. So excuse me if I get a little offended because I didn't see all of this outrage when everything was happening to all of my people since we were stuffed on boats in chains. I love this country as much, if not more, than you do, and don't you ever forget that. And the show also shows the like the galvanizing effect that Trump's win had on a more hateful 
representation of white people. There's a scene where in school, a Latino teacher is getting bullied by all these white people because Trump's going to deport her. But then they undercut it with a joke about how, like, well, she was actually from Spain and her visa was expiring and she really wanted to see her abuela again. But those kids did not know that at the time. Um, the white woman who they find out didn't vote for for Hillary and they're all offended. You know, they talk about how when Obama was running, all the black people came out. Why didn't all the white women come out to back Hillary? And she goes into how she basically thinks Hillary is the Ben Carson of white women. And comparing Hillary to Obama would be like comparing Katie Lang to Jay-Z. They're, they're just all these different elements you get in a way that doesn't stop being funny. Well, let me ask you something, because, you know, I, I don't think it's any secret that I'm very liberal or that you know, my fiance is very liberal. Uh, you know, I the way I have viewed this thing is obviously what. The, something like Blackish is expressing is an important conversation to be had. It's something that we need to hear about. But wh- what I have been so afraid of in the aftermath of the election actually has not been, uh, I mean, well, it has been Donald Trump, but it ha- also the other thing that I've been really keeping my you know, mind on has been the liberal bubble um, that we can get in. And I, I kind of goes back to what you were saying about how easy it is to forget that there is this coalition of people who did vote for Donald Trump and that will very well vote for him again. Cause even though the way we perceive the, you know, the incidents in modern day, uh, politics, they're perceiving them from a completely different perspective and they're not nearly as angry about things that people like us are angry about. So I look at a show like Roseanne and for me, what's vital about a show like that is that you're getting the perspective of somebody coming from that I support Trump. Because I feel like there needs to be some kind of understanding about that. And there needs to be a kind of reckoning, especially from white people who need to, I think, confront their own whiteness and what it means to be a white person in America currently, especially as you know the races and mixed races spread and white people, you know become closer and closer to become a minority. I think there needs to be a more open dialogue about what that means for us as a culture, uh, you know, how that affects us and how that affects where we've been in society for this entire time. So I think a lot of the anger of that has come out through the Trump movement. And I think that watching something like Roseanne, for me, is just as interesting or as vital as hearing another story about how... Like not to not to bemoan them, but it's kind of like I understand how bad Trump is. You know, I read the news, and so I, I can kind of get a little exhausted sometimes hearing over and over again how awful Trump is. It's kind of like I want to like I don't know what I'm looking for right now, but I I'm kind of looking for a show that's gonna be able to talk about the, where we're at currently, but also kind of give me a direction or a sense of some direction about where we need to go in the future. And I don't think I've seen that yet on television. Yeah, uh, it's interesting what you say about the the liberal bubble. So in terms of Roseanne in particular, I've seen a lot of calls to boycott, boycott that show because of Roseanne's politics and her views. And honestly, this can lead us into a, a general discussion about art and the artist, but... I don't know. 
if she was just a Trump supporter, right? If she just voted for Trump, I think that's ludicrous. To, I mean, obviously every person can do it, do what they want, watch or not watch what they want. But to, I think, morally judge like a Trump supporter for creating a show, to me is naive and it it hurts more than it helps. However, there are some things like to call teenagers and children who survive school shootings crisis actors is truly vile. I think that's truly despicable behavior. And that is of all of her beliefs and all of the conspiracy theories that she puppets, that she hears like without researching. Um, that is, yeah, that sure. is the most yeah. disgusting. And that, that does give me pause of, do I want to support a person who would say that directly to a teenager on Twitter like she did to David Hawk? I mean, she basically, she, some tweet where she commented and gave him like a Nazi salute in quotes or something. And just, just really hateful shit. And ugh, I don't know. I mean, I was happy to watch those two episodes for this podcast and to talk about it. But I am... I don't know yet if I'm going to continue watching the show, even though I, even though I do find it worthwhile for the reasons you just mentioned. Sure, I just hope all those same people also refuse to watch anything that Kathy Griffin ever makes again. You know, like, um, like I, I don't know that I'm personally offended by like someone like that using an extreme comedy because I would imagine that's what Roseanne views her jokes at Dave. At, at the student activist as um, I, she probably imagined it as this like tough comedy that everyone just needs to, you know, this PC culture just needs to lighten up. And she's obviously not making serious Nazi jokes. She doesn't like believe in the Holocaust is bad is a good thing or something like that. Um, but I think that would be her defense um, is like, come on, I was just joking. But I, you know, to, for me, the, the liberal bubble side of it is that whole, like, well, you know, like, if there was a picture of Ted Nugent holding Donald Trump's head, I think, or I'm sorry, of Ted Nugent holding Barack Obama's severed head, I think the left would have gone insane over that. So I just, you know, do think that there needs, needs to be like the same standards being held to like, well, I'm not going to watch Roseanne's show because she said some really disgusting, ugly things and made like some really crass jokes that offended me. Uh, and I feel like the same thing needs to be applied to like a Kathy Griffin type, someone who's being crass with her politics and the way she's using the jokes as well. And I mean, I don't like Kathy Griffin all that much. It's not that hard for me to like not watch Kathy Griffin stuff. So I'm just using that as an example. I mean, Ted Nugent did say some pretty awful shit about Obama and the, no, the Ted left Nugent's did get absolute outraged, trash. So. Yeah. Yeah. Ted Nugent's a dumpster fire of human trash. Like I don't want to like defend Ted Nugent. Yeah. No, uh, I, I, I'm I, just I know saying, what you're saying. I, no. I guess, well, in terms of, like, the way politics is perceived, the one thing that happened when Trump got elected, for me, the biggest change that happened was I was so confident. Like, I'm a, you know, I'm a big political follower, and, I, you know, I follow the numbers day to day. I wake up every morning with, like, news politi uh, news podcasts, and that's how I, you know, go throughout the day is following that stuff with my feeds. And I was so confident throughout the election that Donald Trump would lose uh, just like everybody else and when he won it was so shocking just so like that next day it was just a haze of of, uh, of your jaw was on the floor you're just walking around like I can't, I can't fucking believe that happened 
And I remember that day so clearly. And for me, in terms of the way I've watched entertainment since then, the one thing that really changed for me was I just gave up watching things like The Daily Show, like and, and like Real Time with Bill Maher, like um, uh, something like Seth Meyers or uh, uh, Stephen Colbert. I really don't watch any of those late night comedy uh Samantha B, Rachel Maddow, like any of those types of shows that I, I know a lot of people love. I, I refuse to watch them. Like John Oliver, I don't really watch anymore. And I think a reason for that is I'm getting a lot of that information that I'm getting from those shows elsewhere. And the only thing that I was getting from those shows was a comedic bent on the news that I was already, you know, in, informed on anyway. So and I used to enjoy it as a comedic bent, but I think what a lot of those shows do is they present the news to you and they give you that kind of snarky, like, aren't they stupid view of Trump supporters. And while I do, you know, to a certain aspect or a certain degree, agree with that, that I do think a lot of their degree, their opinions are moronic or uninformed or, you know, completely from a immoral point of view. At the same time, I don't think it's very... Uh, very conduct or you know very productive to you know just bemoan them at all times and just condescend to them and kind of make fun of their stupidity and i feel like a lot of those shows like approach it with this oh it's so obvious how terrible they're being that i think it kind of leads to this at least through the pre presentation of liberal entertainment people get this kind of like oh obviously everyone in the country feels like this is terrible which leads to um a huge shock like Hillary Clinton's loss. You're like, oh my God, there's all these people out there who are angrier than I thought they were. And so that was kind of my reaction was to stop with those shows. I don't I, I don't think you've had necessarily that reaction, but that was my like kind of liberal reaction to the Donald Trump election. Well, I I kind of stopped watching The Daily Show because Jon Stewart left, to be honest. I, I tried to get into Trevor Noah. Just not the same for me. Um, I don't know how... I mean, even when Stuart was on, I'd go through periods where I watched every episode, had it on my DVR, and then I would go a few months where I couldn't. I mean, just too much news is depressing no matter who's in charge, I think. Um, so you do have to kind of purge yourself occasionally, at least I do. Um, I'm still willing to watch certain things. I do like John Oliver. I don't watch every episode, but if I hear he's tackling a topic that interests me, I'll check him out. I've never been into any... CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, pundits like Rachel Maddow. I just, I can't, I just can't. I don't, I don't like them. I, yeah, it's really bad. I, th uh, I think, I think, kinda, I think they're kind of garbage, honestly. Though I will, I do want to go back though. What you were saying um, leads me back to that episode of Blackish. So the way Blackish ends that episode, Anthony Anderson has this big blow up um, that I mentioned. He comes back to the office the next day and apologizes to everyone. For getting so outraged. Basically, the boss says, right before he blows up, you know, like, why haven't you said anything about this? Don't you love America? And that's what makes Anthony Anderson go off. He comes back the next morning and apologizes and says, look, I'm horrified that Trump won. I didn't want that to happen. It has happened. Now what we have to do is try to understand each other. The analogy that they give in the beginning of the episode is... There are underdogs everywhere, and they show, you know, LeBron beating the 73 Warriors, U.S. versus Russia in the 80 Olympics, all this stuff. Um, that America loves an underdog. Trump was the ultimate underdog. 
but what do you do when the winners and losers aren't on different team but on the same team? And that's what's going on in America right now. We're all Americans. We're all supposed to be in this together. So the way the episode ends is pretty much a call to understand, even if we don't agree, like try to get back to civil discourse. And the the feeling that I know you and I have and a lot of the characters on that show had are, well, how do we relate to someone who voted for Trump? Yeah, and on that note, I guess I would add that it is important that there are things like a Roseanne coming out there that is kind of hitting the culture and sparking this conversation because, like you said, you don't. I don't want it to be a one-way street of just, oh, you guys suck, you're stupid. I don't want to even listen to anything you have to say because it's so full of shit that I don't want to hear it because obviously that's going to end the conversation right there and we're never going to get anywhere if that's going to be the whole conversation. So I think even as... Even if we are personally, well, you know, I'm kind of like you. I'm I'm probably not going to keep watching every single episode of this revival, or if it, you know, gets renewed, which I'm sure it will with its ratings. You know, I'm not going to like continue to be a weekly watcher, but I do think it is important that something like this is on TV and that it kind of gives us a new perspective in a way that is both uh, true to who that character is and also still kind of giving. A, 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 a strange mixed bag of what that character can be because like we talked about she can be a Trump supporter but also love her gender neutral grandson and you know work on protecting him and his childhood so and making more broad comments about PC culture and her view on parenting in the modern age and getting old in the modern age. Uh, so I think, you know, Roseanne Barr herself is a problematic thing. We're going to have to see where that goes. I, you know, I personally, you know, don't sound like I want to have lunch with her anytime soon. But I also think, you know, if we're going to have a free country, we need to, you know, let her make the art she wants to make. And I think what we can learn from what she makes is just as important. So we should listen. Yeah, and if it gets to the point where enough people are so disgusted that they don't want to watch, the the results will show themselves, you know? Exactly, yeah. I do, so, I, I, but I do, to just to wrap it up, I, I am genuinely torn because I agree with everything you just said about the value of a show like that, just like there's real value in a show like Blackish, a show that I am going to start watching now. Exactly. You need, but I, I just feel like there's genuine... Uh, a real positive thing in having both of those shows out there. So, all right. So I have, you know, ended the last few weeks with a lot of complaints. And so I wanted to see, uh, first I'll ask you to wrap up. Do you have any, you know, we, you said your compl- your week was going kind of rough because of your cat. But, you know, do you have anything else you want to end the show on? Any kind of positive recommendations or any other things you want to j- complain about? You know, how do you want to end this conversation? Positive recommendations. Well... I did want to, I was thinking of maybe we could do a little segment, maybe not every episode, but episodes where we're not, I know this was kind of a long topic, but uh, I would like to maybe spend some time talking about uh, stuff that we're reading. I mean, Phil and I are both writers. The only, there are two main ways you get better as a writer. One is to keep writing and the other is to keep reading. So I think if we have a little section where we maybe just talk for a couple minutes about whatever book reading or an article that we really liked it'll maybe uh, help us keep ourselves more honest and more engaged um i'm reading a neil gaiman book right now called the ocean at the end of the lane which is fantastic neil gaiman is such a good writer uh, he did american gods that's probably his most famous novel 
He also did Coraline. Um, he did what is probably the greatest comic book of all time, Sandman. I'm enjoying that right now. That has been a real bright spot of my week. I'm I'm just about finished with it. Very nice. Yeah. Um, I am. Well, I am reading today. I read my friend's script, so I don't think that counts. But the other thing that I've been reading this week is actually because we've been talking about politics. Uh, I've been skimming and taking some notes on uh, dreams of my uh, dreams from my father, the Barack Obama book. Um, the because, like you said, I'm a writer, and the script I I want to write after the one I've just worked on now has a black character in it and de- deals a lot with black identity and stuff. So it's actually been interesting reading that book and getting some ideas about the the struggles that Barack Obama had uh, young in his young years with his racial identity. So I've been taking notes from that. So that's really been all I've been reading, but I haven't been, you know, hardcore diving into anything, you know, this these past few weeks. I've been busy with other things. I just heard a lot of listeners, I could hear them rolling their eyes at the idea of a straight white guy writing a script about black identity. Like we really need. Well, that's not what the script's about. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It's not what the script's (laughs) about, but, uh, you know, there's a, it's actually a very interesting concept. I'm excited for this story. Yeah. That's not the only book I'm reading. How about that? That's, uh, that's one of several that I've, I've looked at. I gotta be honest. Um, I gotta be honest. I, I don't kind of a cheesy title. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I didn't write it, but it's a good book. It's an interesting book, um, and there's things you know that I, as a white guy, could never think of. So it's great to read, you know, that book and hear that perspective. So um, I would definitely recommend the book. He's he's a very good writer. Cool. Something yeah. that you know, Donald. It's much better than the art of the deal. I would. Presume. I, I I like books about history, especially U.S. history, and I like reading uh, presidential biographies. But when it comes to books about current events i need a little bit of distance i don't know why but when something new comes out i liked i don't know i i kind of want to remove myself from the situation and get more of a like kind of a passive objective perspective of what i'm reading yeah well this one's more you know he wrote it when he was I, i believe just like a year or so out of law school so he wasn't like very politically active yet, uh, and this was kind of a like I said, it's much more about a young man's search to understand his own place in the country with his own kind of multi-ethnic identity and wanting to understand who his father was because his father was a mystery to him growing up and what because his mother was white and his father was black, so because his father was a mystery to him, his kind of feelings about his own blackness were a mystery to him as well so the the book's kind of more chronicling that journey than his actual the the hits of his biography you know yeah that's that's actually really interesting um i don't know just right now you know we talked all everything we just said about trump and then when you bring obama into the equation and you just realize that pretty much everything trump does is either for his own personal gain or to undermine anything positive obama did because trump is a petty man it's, uh, yeah, it's awful. It's, yeah, Obama is just so inextricably linked to Trump, unfortunately, that, yeah, I'm still going to need some time on that. But I, that does sound interesting. I will read that at some point. Cool. So, yeah, and I actually, I, I haven't read I haven't read The Audacity of Hope either. So I was always a big fan of him, but I somehow never got around to reading his books. So now that he's out of office and I miss him, I feel like this, this was my way to bring him back a little bit into my life. Well, you know I love that word, audacity. Yeah, you do. I love that I, word. I know you yeah, you do. That was the. All right, uh, so that was the. No, shut up. That was the, the, the word my mom loved to use 
when she was mad at me when I was a kid. You have the audacity to do that. So I've always enjoyed that word. It reminds me that I was a, a, a bastard kid. Yeah, you still are to me. Yeah, baby. All right, so you that was a nice book recommendation from you. I realized that I, this week... Um, had made several just really negative remarks about music at the end of the last couple episodes. So I talked trash about Justin Timberlake's new album, talked trash about Jack White's new album, and I was feeling bad, and I was like, man, because you had asked me, you're like, hey, what are your favorite albums this year? And I didn't really have a good answer. But I realized this week that I had actually kind of heard a lot of good music that I was really into. So uh, I thought I'd throw out a number of tracks there, a couple of recommendations, and you know, you guys can just seek them out, download them, you know, stream them, however you do it. But these are my recommendations for some new songs that are out there. The first one is from Leon Bridges. He uh, released an album uh, back in 2016 called Coming Home. It was that one. It was mu- very much a, a Sam Cooke style album. Uh, I would call it a Sunday morning uh, cleaning around the house type of album, if you know what I mean. And this new one, uh, I don't know the name of the album that's coming out, but he's released two singles. Uh, one is called Bad Bad News, and the other one is Bet Ain't Worth the Hand. So, you know, I would encourage anyone to check that out. I, I believe we're going to pull up a little clip of Bad Bad News right now. date on modern music than i am we both know that that song is fantastic nice yeah well first first time listen loved it it has such a cool jazzy opening he's got a great voice it is a danceable tune that is a winner my man good choice well glad i'm good i'm glad you liked it the uh like i said the last album was much more of like a sunday uh sunday morning you're kind of like being around the house just relaxing it's got i got this smooth uh, laid back kind of vibe. This one's much more of a, a late night at the club kind of vibe. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit sexier, a little bit naughtier, and I'm really excited to hear the full album. So that's the first track I wanted to recommend. The next track I wanted to recommend is by an underground rap group. Uh, I think they're kind of blowing up a little bit, and their name is the Flatbush Zombies. And they have a new album coming out in a little while. They've just released a few singles from it. And Flatbush Zombies are a they're a Brooklyn-based trio of rappers. And what I like about them is, you know, we'll talk in a future episode about where music's at right now, and especially where hip hop's at right now. But hip hop's in a really weird place. And I grew up kind of loving it, and kind of my relationship uh, going in and out depending on what age I was and what what kind of era hip hop was in. But right now, there's very few. Gr- artists out there who I feel like can actually rap or, you know, like actually have flow, you know, and can do like 16 bars. Like, I feel like there's a lot of singing and auto tune droning going on right now. So Flatbush Zombies are kind of a throwback group. And uh, the first track that I, you know, I recommend to you here off their new album is called Headstone. So if you want to throw that on, we'll, we'll take a listen. Take a L when I smoke it is. I'm gang three times on my head stop. Been 
your 30,000 feet up what you think of Oh, I hate it knowing that my thoughts are turned to dream Cause I never knew I'd get my chance to link up Oh, I tell you all I like that, so at first I was kind of thrown because that opening refrain actually sounds very modern It's got kind of that lazy flow that's all the rage right now But yeah, those those opening couple verses totally felt like a throwback um, I love that little Bone Thugs and Harmony nod the end of that second verse and i gotta say i'm looking on spotify right now and that cover art is a thing of beauty yeah well if you and if you scroll through it you'll see um their their main album or their last album is called 3001 a laced odyssey and that kind of will give you an idea of one thing i like about them like that has songs like a spike lee joint on it and so their their albums are kind of a throwback in terms of a lot of the beats they do like a very bass heavy 90s production yeah in terms of very simple things where they're just rapping over a simple beat. But it's very uh, reference-heavy, a lot of movie references, of a lot of, like you said, that Crossroads reference there with the Bone Thugs and Harmony. So if you dive into the lyrics, they're very funny, very dense, and I, and I like the production a lot. So that's another track that I recommend that are, you know, are starting to pour out. So I'm not sure when the full album comes out, though. So maybe I'll throw that out there when that happens. Yeah, definitely. All right, so the last track is um, a totally different thing. It's from Casey Musgrave, who... Uh, started, I guess, in the country world, but she's kind of she, I, she's kind of Taylor Swiftish in that she very quickly seemed to have little interest in staying in the country world. And at this point, she's kind of just she's at that point where she's like, I'm just gonna make pop records and screw any kind of country radio airplay. So she just came out with a new album called Golden Hour, which is this fun mix of female singer songwriter pop and a little bit of dance like there's kind of this Olivia Newton-John ish kind of 80s pop to it uh that I that I've been really into this week it just came out uh and the song where uh, I was going to recommend to you is called High Horse oh, I bet you think you're John Wayne showing up and shooting down everybody you're classic too that uh i definitely see the taylor swift vibe there i also like that it had that michael jackson-esque rhythm going underneath that boom 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 like that that was groovy uh that's a song i could see putting on late night at like a house party when everyone's just kind of vibing and maybe i start bobbing my head and do a stupid dance to make people laugh and then trip and fall and break my ankle. Yeah, she's this kind of like fun mix. She has fun lyrics and very witty at times, but she's also playing that kind of bad girl thing. Like she's been doing interviews lately about like how she took LSD and then wrote some of the songs that are on the new album and stuff. So she's like, you know, kind of mixing this like, I'm going to wear, I'm going to be a Nashville girl with Cal girl boots but i'm gonna make this like dance pop album as well and kind of like so you'll hear like a dance pop rhythm but then you'll hear that kind of like twangy guitar lick in there and like lyrics like saying to go giddy up giddy up and stuff like that so it's this weird melding of worlds uh that i think is really interesting and it's one of been one of the you know more interesting albums i've heard this year so far so that that was the last thing i wanted to recommend so after my weeks of bitching about uh, other musicians, those are some that I would recommend going to seek out. There's a few others, but you know I'll, I'll bring them in in the weeks ahead because uh, some of them are like 
Christina Vantzu, she does this kind of abstract, like tonal music. You know, I, I don't think, you know, a lot of people are going to be interested in that, but there's been a lot of, you know, great stuff coming out. Also, stuff from First Aid Kit and Parquet Courts and, uh, you know, and yeah, there's there's some good stuff. So there is good music out there. I'm sorry for complaining. <laughs> well, I think the Justin Timberlake one, you were mostly complaining about his attire more than his music. Well, I, I bashed the album a little bit too. I didn't I didn't really like the album. I, I I've listened to a couple of tracks since that conversation, and I'll maintain that. I, oh, I also really bothered me because I called I called an album I called the song the wrong thing on the album. It's called Sauce. And I called it something else in the in the podcast. And when I heard that, I was like, "Oh no, no, no! That's not the name of the song." So, correction: I'm aware of the the song is actually called "Sauce" that I was referring to. So I actually listened to it um, all the way through after we talked about it again, and then a couple of tracks a few days later. And I won't say it's growing on me or that I've completely changed my mind, but I do like it a little more than I did previously. Yeah, there, there's like five or six tracks that I think are really strong on there. Um, but there's just a lot of filler on there as well. Yeah, so what I'm going to do for people who are interested, I already started it with these three songs Phil just recommended. I am creating a playlist on Spotify that I'm going to call How's That Day Pod. And you can follow it and listen to uh, the songs that Phil and I recommend throughout the course of this podcast. Awesome. And one thing that we're going to do, I think, in the next week or so is uh, the previous episodes have only been available for Apple. I'm going to make sure that they get uploaded to Spotify as well in the future. Cool. Um, I do have, do you have a a rant to end the show? Or or are you just ending it on a positive That was my rant. I wanted my rant to be those song recommendations. Well, then I'll go negative. Sure. Yeah, you go negative. (laughs) So I'm a huge horror fan. As Phil knows, as a lot of friends who are probably listening to this know, horror is my jam. It's my favorite genre. I have a huge problem with the way most critics tackle the horror genre, especially when it comes to film. Um, I think they're very dismissive of it. The assumption is when a horror movie's good, they try to call it something else. Like a, a lot of critics are calling Get Out a thriller, which it is. It's both. It's a horror and a thriller. But they were describing it as a thriller because to say it's a horror movie would imply that it's garbage or a B movie or something. So the movie A Quiet Place opened yesterday. It is a smash hit. I haven't watched it yet, but it is on track to do almost fifty million dollars this weekend at the box office. Ooh. It's just it's blowing up. It is getting raves, unanimous praise. It's ninety seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something. It's got a Metacritic over eighty, which is very hard to do for a mainstream movie. It only happens you know, 15 or 20 times a year, maybe, um, for a mainstream film, not an art film. And I'm, I'm seeing all these reviews. I'm not reading them yet because I don't want anything spoiled, but I'm looking at headlines on Twitter and seeing stuff like, even though you'd call it horror, A Quiet Place has the raw performances and anguished mood of a tender-hearted parenting drama. And it's like, you know what, man? Fuck you. It could be both. It could be a tender-hearted parenting drama and a horror movie, and that's fine. The Silence of the Lambs, I think, is the greatest example of so many people arguing that it is not at all a horror movie. I guess because it won Best Picture and that would somehow be demeaning to the Oscars? I don't know. But a movie about a fetishized serial killer who keeps a girl trapped in a well and a cannibal 
who eats people's faces. That's a that's a horror movie. That is horror. And it's okay to call it that, guys. Call it a horror movie. Horror movies are good. And they're clearly popular. But Quiet Place is about to blow up. Well, we will definitely be calling that a horror film when we review it on a future episode. Yeah. I mean, maybe um, maybe I'll eat crow and realize, like, yeah, it's really not scary. It's all about all this other stuff. But I also think a lot of people associate horror films with being scary and being scared is obviously very subjective. You know, I know people who thought it was the most terrifying horror movie they saw in theaters in decades didn't scare me that much, but no, it didn't scare me at all. It's clearly a horror film and they're just the subject matter matters just as much as the frights in horror. All right. Yeah. So like future episodes, we, you and I, we're going to go back to some movies. We're going to talk about ready player one. We're going to talk about Isle of Dogs. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to have a conversation about A Quiet Place. So we're going to dive back into some movies in the future episodes. Yeah, and another thing people can look out for, unless the the feedback is so bad for this kind of political episode. But nah, we're going to do it either way. What I was hoping we would talk about, and we just ran too long, I really want to get into separating the art from the artist. Is it possible? Are there certain people whose work you just can't stomach anymore? Who do you give the benefit of the doubt to? How does it affect stuff you watch as a kid? And then scandals come out after the fact all that stuff i think that could be a very interesting topic i agree well uh, you know it's something tells me it's going to keep coming up because there's probably going to be some more scandals you know any any time yeah did you see the uh, tony robbins news that just broke today i did not no he uh apparently at some one of his speaking engagements he just shat all over the me too movement and said it was a uh just a way to play the victim card to gain attention. And he was talking about how he has a dozen people who have talked to him about being in positions to hire attractive women and they won't do it because of the Me Too movement, which is either saying, A, these guys can't control themselves from sexually harassing the woman, or B, these women are going to be manipulative liars who ruin their lives. Either way... Tony Robbins, man, that's not a good look. You gotta get your shit together. That's not a good, not a good position for someone who's supposed to be like a life coach guru, dude. Yeah, he's not having a good day. So if I were, you know, if I were to ask him how his day is going, I don't think he's gonna have a good answer for me. How's that day, Tony Robbins? With that weird voice. That's the show for this week. Uh, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every one of those helps us out incredibly and helps us get the word out about the uh, show and get some more listeners. So please do that. Go to the iTunes store. We're going to work on getting this on Spotify as well. And tell us what you think. And also, you can send us your thoughts and feedback on Twitter. Uh, Tom is at Big Fat Bond. That's all one word. And I am at Phil Wiedenheft. I'm not going to spell that, so you can check the description of the episode to get our, you know, the spelling of that. But seek us out. Track us down. Let us know what you think. We look forward to hearing from you. Absolutely. So that's the show this week. Look forward to future episodes. Tom, have a good rest of the day. Enjoy your day. Bye, everybody. Love you.